It is uh, good to see all of you who are here worshiping with us at our Battlefield campus. We're excited that you're a part of this service. For those of you who are watching online, uh, we are just delighted to have you guys be a part of our service. We've heard some really cool stories this week of uh, folks here at New Vision who have just shared our service with family members and friends who live in other states, and we've been able to interact a little bit uh, with those folks, so we're thankful for that. We have a ton of people right now who are uh, working with us to host our online service, try to answer any questions you guys have, so thanks for being a, being a part of that. You know, in the uh, late 80s, uh, there was uh, this Nike campaign, Bo Knows, sort of highlighting Bo Jackson and all that he was able to do in, in multiple sports. And so we've kind of had some fun throughout this series, sort of thinking of some, uh, or at least I've had some fun, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you've had fun, that's kind of presumptuous, but thinking of some, some of my favorite Bo Jackson moments. So I want to just share, this came from 1989, All-Star Game. By the way, it felt like this week life is starting to get back to normal, Major League Baseball again, so it's like, you know what, I think we can survive. Now, here is a, a clip from the 1989 All-Star Game with Bo Jackson. Let's take a look at this real quick. Love that little sign, Bo knows what? In Bo knew baseball, Bo knew football, but we're studying the life of Joseph, and Joseph knew a whole lot more. Joseph knew what it was like to be a part of a dysfunctional family. Joseph knew what it was like to feel forgotten. Joseph knew what it was like to face temptation. And we're going to see today that Joseph knew what it was like to forgive. And then next week, we really hope you're back next week. Hope you'll tune in next week online. We're going to talk about how Joseph handled success. You see, a lot of people know how to handle failure. Very few folks know how to handle success. And so we've really learned some important lessons through the life of Joseph. So I'm glad you're here. But today, I want to be honest. This is the best part of the Joseph story. If you only had one service to be at for the Joe No series, you pick the right one. This is as good as it gets. This is really the pinnacle of Joseph's story. So as we think about forgiveness, I really believe this uh, today. I, I would challenge you to, to listen to this message, view this message through the lens of, of maybe one of the greatest hurts you've had in your life. Maybe a time when somebody wronged you or hurt you more than any other time in your life. And maybe it is for you as a, as a parent. I think about this as a parent. I have an easier time forgiving people as they wrong me or hurt me than I do uh, forgiving people when they have wronged or hurt my kids or my wife. That's been harder for me. So I have to view it through, through that lens. I want to do something. I think it's important as we set the stage for Genesis chapter 45 to go back and just really quickly look at a timeline to bring us up to this pinnacle moment in the life of Joseph. And, and by the way, uh, our podcast, I am so proud of our staff. I'm so thankful for our staff, for the, the podcast. Every single day we're going, uh, we have gone through Genesis chapter 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. Every single day there's a chance uh, for you to listen to that podcast. And Amy and I have enjoyed them so much. And in fact, I would preach shorter messages if you would listen to the podcast because I wouldn't have to do all this recap. And some of you are like, okay, I might be interested now if that's, uh, that's in it. But if you're watching online today, uh, we're putting a link up even right now for our podcast, so you get a chance to uh, watch those, listen to those, I should say, and especially as we jump into this next series, just in a couple weeks going through the book of Exodus, it is such an important series for the time we're in, but I promise you, I promise, if you'll give us 10 minutes every single morning as we're walking through the book of Exodus, you will get so, so much more uh, out of uh, the sermons because we're going to give you way more kind of context and background, so take advantage of those podcasts. But let me give you a quick timeline, starting in chapter 22. 
37 of the book of Genesis. We meet Joseph when he's a 17-year-old boy. Uh, Joseph was uh, kind of loud and proud. He was his father Jacob's favorite son, and he was gifted of God to interpret dreams. In fact, Joseph told his brothers, he said, hey, guys, one day you're going to bow down to me. Uh, that did not go over well. Uh, his, his brothers uh, wanted to kill him, plotted to kill him. In fact, thought instead of killing him, we'll just make some money off him. So they uh, sell him as a slave. So he's taking down into the nation of Egypt, out of the land of Canaan or Israel. And so as he arrives there, he is bought on the open market by a man by the name of Potiphar, who was a, a military official, a high-ranking military official in Pharaoh's army. And Joseph is working in his house where he just sort of, he just climbs to the top. One of the things you study the life of Joseph, wherever he is, he just seems to excel. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. But as he's there in Potiphar's house, we saw a couple weeks ago Potiphar's wife uh, takes notice of Joseph. Uh, the scripture says he was well-built and handsome. And, and so uh, she comes on to him in a sexual way, makes an advance to him, multiple times. And Joseph uh, says, no, he can't do that and sin against his God. And for his obedience to God in that, he gets a prison sentence. She lies about him and he finds himself now uh, back in the pit. He's back in prison or he's in prison and he's there for a while. And while he's there, if you've uh, studied a little bit along with us, Pharaoh is angry with a couple of his servants, and so he sends them to jail, cupbearer and baker. They have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams, and they turn out exactly as Joseph said they would. And Joseph, the only thing he asked these guys, and really the only one who could help him was the cupbearer because the baker dies. He says, hey, when you, you get back into your place of power and position, remember O Joe." And uh, the cupbearer does not. Too bad, too sad. He doesn't remember Joseph. And so time goes on. And so Joseph is in Potiphar's house and in prison for about a 13-year period. That is a long stretch. And so uh, as he's there in prison, finally uh, Pharaoh uh, has a dream that is really disturbing to him. Uh, nobody can interpret. And it's then that the cupbearer is kind of his mind is jogged. He remembers that he did some time with a guy named Joseph. Uh, and he tells uh, Pharaoh about somebody he met in prison. And so uh, they invite Joseph up. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And uh, Pharaoh is able, and this is one of the things you see with Joseph, everybody who's around him, they see that something is different about this guy. God's presence is on him. And so Pharaoh says, listen, you've done such a good job interpreting my dream. And in fact, what was the dream? The dream was there's going to be seven years of abundance, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, hey, I don't want you just to be uh, my interpreter. I, I want you to be uh, a leader. I, I want you to put in place uh, uh, policies for us so that we can uh, save all this food and have food when the famine comes. So Joseph is now second in command in the most powerful nation in the world. Man, what a story. This is an amazing story. And it goes on for those seven years, exactly as Joseph said. Uh, there's a ton, ton of, of, of crops that come in in this seven years of abundance, and Joseph is storing them and storing them so the nation of Egypt would have more. And then two years into the famine, famine strikes in the nation of Israel in the land of Canaan, and Je Joseph's uh, brothers uh, find themselves hungry. So they make their way down to Egypt. When they arrive, Joseph recognizes them. This is super important to the message today, but they don't recognize him. And uh, they have to make a couple different trips. And this is a very interesting part of the story. And in fact, I think there's a lot here. And we're going to 
unpack it in just a few moments. It looks like Joseph is sort of messing with them. And they show up. He treats them harshly. He says, you guys are a bunch of spies. I don't trust you. And, and, and they're trying to, to, to prove that they're not. And he says, well, if you're not a spy, go back and get your brother Benjamin. And so he has them leave one of their brothers there in prison. They go back. Their dad has no interest in sending Benjamin, now his new favorite son, back there until they get so hungry. And then the dad says, hey, take Benjamin. We got to eat. So they go back. And Joseph even has another test for them in a, in, a, in a sort of a strange plot twist. He gives them some food, but then he takes his cup, his cup of divination, the Scripture says, puts it in Benjamin's bag. They leave. He sends someone after them, and it turns out that it looks like Benjamin has stolen this cup from Joseph. So he has to come back. All the brothers come back. They're just weeping. They're so upset. And this is the context now that we pick up in Genesis chapter 45. Here are the brothers here. Uh, they are so upset about what's happened with their brother Benjamin. They think it may cost him his life, or at least he's going to have to stay there in prison. And now let's, let's pick up Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. And again, you just listen to the podcast. I wouldn't have to spend that last seven minutes, so you get out a little bit earlier. So again, another plug for the podcast. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now, here's one of the things I want you guys to see. It's so super important. Joseph had forgiven these guys earlier. But this is going to be a story not just of forgiveness but of reconciliation. And he wept so loudly, verse 2 says, that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Here's one of the things that's so important about forgiveness. When someone wrongs us, like these brothers wronged Joseph, when someone hurts you or wrongs you, let me just, let me just tell you, it might be one of the greatest opportunities you will ever have in your life to bring glory to God, to live this out in the right way because everybody is watching how you're going to respond. Does that make sense? Right? Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Don't you imagine that was a moment? I mean, they have no idea. They're like, whoa, this just left the rails. You know, they had no idea he was even alive, much less in power in Egypt. And, and, and they'd had multiple encounters with him. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. I bet. You ever been so scared you couldn't talk? Maybe right now, because I'm not hearing you, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you were like, whoa, you're so scared you couldn't even talk. That's the way these guys were. They were so scared because here it is. I want you to see this. He's got them. He's in the power position. They were completely wrong, right? Would you agree with that? When you sell your brother as a slave, you guys know that. I mean, that's wrong. Should be on my kids. Help me. If you sell your brother, don't do that. That's wrong. You should never do that, right? I mean, he's got them. He can do whatever he wants to do with them, and, they, and they're, they're thinking, you know what? We're going to get ours now. And in fact, in their mind, they probably realized they deserved it. He says, he asked, is his father still living? But they were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. This is a picture of reconciliation. We're going to talk about this today. I just want to kind of drip this in as we're reading because I want to show you the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, again, he doesn't forget what's happened to him. Okay, I'm the one you sold into, into, into Egypt. But listen to verse 5, one of the more powerful passages in the entire Bible. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
Joseph gets the big picture here. Joseph is saying this, what you did in the past was wrong and evil, but I want to tell you something about our God. No one can do to us in our past what God can't redeem and bring good about in our future. That's what we're going to see. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. Joseph said, this is going to go on for some period of time, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Can I just tell you something that has a lot of play for us today. Does it help you as a believer, even though in the midst of the difficult days we're in? These are difficult days, aren't they? Aren't these challenging days we're in? You guys with me? I'm trusting you guys watching online. You're, you, you've had multiple cups of coffee. You're ready to go. You guys right here at Battlefield, these are difficult days, aren't they? These are tough days. But does it help you to know that God's already alive in your future? Does that help you? Does, he's already alive in your tomorrow. Does that give you some encouragement? God sent me ahead of you, Joseph said. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, I just have to share this with you. In the story of Joseph, you see some, see some, glimpsing, some, some glimpses or some foreshadowing of, of Jesus. You see, these brothers thought their, their, their brother was dead, but he's not dead. He's alive, and he's in, he's in the most powerful position possible. That reminds us of King Jesus. Is he dead? The answer to that is no, and he is in all authority. So we see that glimpse. Now, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father. Say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down and don't delay. In other words, I want, you, I want my family to be with me. Verse 10, you shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. This was the best of the land in all of Egypt. So he's saying, listen, even though you've wronged me, you don't have to be a second-class citizen. We're not going to send you out in the desert. You get to live at 30A. I mean, this is as good as it gets. I mean, those of you who vacationed there and put that all up over the summer, good for you. I saw where it was great you were there. But this is the best of the land, right, that you're going to come and, and live with me and be near me, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you become destitute. Let's talk about a few things for just a couple minutes, and I promise you, I promise you, there's some truths in this passage that can so help you in your life. Because here's what I believe about every family here. Every family I know has some hurt from the past, some unforgiveness, some pain from the, fat, the past that's really robbing their present and even their future. And certainly Joseph had that and his family had that. And now we're going to see that God asks us to forgive. And why does God ask us to forgive those who have wronged us and hurt us like Joseph's brothers? Let me just be very honest with you. God asks you to forgive. Why? Because he loves you. God doesn't ask you so much to forgive to heal the other person. But God asks you to forgive to heal you and to set you free. You see, here I have a, a piece of glass that I just... Uh, got cut this week, just a shard of glass, about four inches. I mean, it's a little bit sharp on either side. So if I take this piece of glass and I put it in my pocket and I walk around with it for the rest of the day, tell me a couple things that are going to happen. You're just whispering. It's not going to go well, is it? It's gonna, most likely it's going to break and you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to cut myself. It's not a matter of if that's going to happen. It's just when that's going to happen. Can I tell you something? You say, why did, why did you do that? That was weird. That piece of glass is a reminder of me of what unforgiveness is like. Unforgiveness is like a shard of glass in my pocket, and it's going to cut me. It's going to hurt me. It's going to damage me, and I'm going to walk with a limp. And I want to just say something to you. Can we just lean in for just a moment to this? 
I think all of us have those shards of glass in our pocket from our past. Wouldn't it be great to leave here today having laid those things down and to walk out of here today freer than we've ever been before? Would that be worth our time here? I think the answer is yes. But I think we have to understand a couple things about forgiveness here for just the next couple minutes. Let me just say to you today, I think we need a master's degree in forgiveness. And so I'm going to teach for the next couple minutes on forgiveness out of the story of Joseph. But there is so much more that the Bible has to say about forgiveness, right? I mean, you don't get a master's degree by just sitting through one, one lecture, right? And so we have on our website, we've picked five messages that we've done in the past on forgiveness. You can download any of those this week. And, and we also have placed on our website, on the homepage of our website, if you're watching online, uh, we'll give you a, a link uh, to that. But I think the greatest message, and in fact, I know, the greatest message that was ever preached here at New Vision, certainly was not preached by me. Some of you are like, well, yeah, I would have known that one. Saw that coming. It, it was preached by Dr. R.T. Kendall. I've just been texting him this morning. His message was called Total Forgiveness. It was a sermon on the life of Joseph. Hands down, it was, it was the greatest single day of ministry I think we've ever seen here at our church. God moved in a powerful way, unbelievable. And so we have uh, put a link to that message, and I'd encourage you just to listen to it this week. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing, and you'll learn a lot of principles that will set you free. But here's a couple things. We're going to talk about three things just really quickly here this morning that you need to know about forgiveness. And here's what Joe knows about forgiveness. First of all, Joe knows that forgiveness, or, or Joe knows what forgiveness is not. I think before you can know what forgiveness is, I think we have to know what forgiveness is not because there's just a lot of things said about forgiveness that, just to be honest with you, are just not true and they hold us, really hold us hostage. The first thing about forgiveness, for, forgiveness is not fair. It isn't fair for, for brothers who sold Joseph as, as a slave now to be getting, getting treated the way they're treated, right? To be fed and to be brought back and into the best of the land. Forgiveness is, is never fair. Would you agree with that? Forgiveness is not fair. It's just not fair. Number two, forgiveness isn't natural. Like you won't wake up one day feeling like forgiving someone who has wronged you. It is not a natural feeling that we have as a human being. My wife sent me this morning here to church with a, a cup of still-cut oatmeal. I don't feel like eating still-cut oatmeal. I wanted to turn left onto Broad Street off of Thompson Lane and go to the Donut Palace because I love the Donut Palace. I feel like eating at the Donut Palace, their apple fritters. That's what I feel like eating, right? I don't feel like still-cut oatmeal. But you see, we don't live our life just based on just how we feel in the, in, in the moment. To be honest, sometimes I do. That's why I look the way I do. But anyways, you understand the point. You're never going to, it's just not a natural feeling to, to forgive people. Uh, and, and forgiveness, this is controversial, but I think a lot of people stay stuck here. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. Sometimes I think people stay stuck. They say, well, well, I, I can't for, forget that, so I, I can't forgive them. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus forgives and forgets. But Joseph certainly remembered the offense that his brothers had done against him. He tells them that, right? You sold me as a slave. He'd already forgiven them, but he doesn't forget. And just because you can't forget something, that doesn't mean that you can't be in the process for, of forgiving somebody. Now, you know, again, Jesus forgives and forgets, but where aren't Jesus, right? Does that make sense? Some of you are like, amen. You understand that? Forgiveness is not justifying their actions. It's not coming back and saying, you know what? No, I understand. That wasn't that big a deal. It's not justifying what they did. I mean, what these guys did is just wrong. There is nothing right about selling your brother into slavery. Would everybody agree with that? I mean, you can't just say, you know what, boys will just be boys. Hey, guys, that wasn't that big a deal. That's just, you know, teenage boys are going to do kind of funny things like that. You know what? I get it. I get it. No. 
That was, it was just wrong. But forg- sometimes we think if I forgive them, I'm saying what they did was right. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not justifying their actions. Joseph never justifies their actions. In fact, he said, what you did, you meant it for evil. Why? Because it was evil. And it's not easy. Let's just be, let's just be clear. Forgiveness is not easy. I love this passage in Luke. Jesus is talking on forgiveness, which he talks about a lot. And this is a funny passage to me. Jesus says, pay attention. He's talking to his disciples. To yourself, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day, then, then you're to say, if he repents, you forgive him seven times, all right? And then listen to their response after Jesus telling them to forgive someone who's wronged them seven times in a day. Listen to how the the apostles responded. They said to the Lord, increase our faith. I love that. Like, help me trust you more because that sounds hard. In fact, that's impossible without God's grace and God's... We're not going to be able to do that. And I love those guys are just honest. You're going to have to help us on that one. I can't do that. Forgiveness is... Do you know why forgiveness is hard? Let's talk about it. Do you know why forgiveness is so hard? Because it's a choice that we're making to lay our rights down. And we don't like that. In fact, we, we hate that. Because forgiveness is really laying down our right to be right, because that's what I want. I want to be completely vindicated in real time, don't you? I want the person who has wronged me to come back and, and post it out there on Facebook that, you know what, here's what I did. I was wrong, and Pastor Brady was completely right. So I want everybody to know that. It's not going to happen. So I have to lay down my right to be right. No, no, number two, I think we have to lay down our right to make them pay. You know what? I'm not going to make you pay anymore. And that's what forgiveness means. I'm choosing not to make you pay anymore. And we make people pay in so many different ways, don't we? I mean, inside marriage, when we're wrong, uh, when we're upset the other person, we just make them pay in a lot of different ways. We, we, we make people pay in our life who have wronged us and hurt us in so many different ways, right? But Joseph isn't making his brothers pay. I mean, he could. He had them right where he wanted them, but he doesn't make them pay. That's what it means to forgive. It's laying down my right to make another person pay. It's sort of laying down my right to sort of rehash the offense. Don't we love to do that? We just love to rehash it and play it over and over and over and over again. Forgiveness is also laying down my right to tell others about it because we love to do that. We love to build an alliance, and we love to get four or five people around us and say, can you believe what they did? And we love to, we love to tell on them. As far as I can tell, and you may send me an email this week because you understand the Scripture better than me, and I'll, I'll read that. But as far as I can tell, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, he doesn't know about what happened to Joseph in his past. I mean, Joseph hasn't run his brothers through the mill to Pharaoh. In fact, Pharaoh is willing to give them the choice piece of the land here, right? So that's part of what it means. Let me just summarize it this way. This is how I would summarize forgiveness. I'm not saying it's the best definition. I'm saying it is a definition. Forgiveness is laying down my hurt so God can pick it up. I think forgiveness is laying down my hurt so God can pick it up. And you say, where do you get that? Good question. Romans chapter 12, one of the most helpful passages on forgiveness for me in the entire Bible. Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Right? That's what an unredeemed man or woman does. As soon as somebody wrongs us, we just pay them right back, right? We just reenact, right? Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I love that part of the passage because, again, what we said earlier, you're probably never going to have a greater chance to have influence with other people than how you respond to an offense because everybody's watching. Verse 18, this is so good. If it is possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do you know what that says? That says, now, this is this hard, but there are some people in your life that it's just going to be impossible for you to be reconciled with. 
as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. There's just going to be some people in our life, they're never going to repent. They're never going to be people that we can reconcile with because they're just not going to have spiritual fruit in their life. They're just going to keep hurting us over and over again. We'll get to that more and more. But now look, look, look at verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's what? Wrath. Let me finish reading this, and I want to, I want to make this point. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. As long as you hold on to unforgiveness, as long as you keep making them pay yourself, you're holding on to it, and God is out of the equation. When you lay an offense down, then God picks it up and He deals with them. Does that make sense? So laying it down allows room. It makes room for God to step in and deal with that other person way better than I can deal with them. Forgiveness is just this God-honoring choice, not a feeling. Because here's the thing. We just want to rehash an offense, don't we? You with me? I do. We just want to rehash an offense. But let me ask you another question. Do you want to rehash it or are you ready to release it? Can I ask you that? You want to rehash it or are you ready to release it? Is that a fair question to ask? Well, here's another question I hear people say. Well, how much should I forgive them? I don't think they deserve it. How much should I forgive them? Let me give you another question to ask. How free do you want to be? How free do you want to be? You see, your freedom depends in so many ways on whether or not you're going to lay down that hurt or that offense or you're going to keep holding it, you see? Now, let's look, at the, let's look at the second thing about forgiveness, and this is certainly played out in Joseph's life, and I want to take the time in this message to deal with this because I know so many people, and please let, help me here, as a pastor, I have seen so many people get hurt in their lives continually because they don't understand this principle. I've seen it over and over again. To be honest, I've, I, I've seen it in people super close to me. I've seen it in friends' lives. Over and over again. Joe knows that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Right? He knows that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Watch this. I want to build, and, and again, you need a master's degree. We need a master's degree in forgiveness. So there's a lot here that we need to think about. Listen to what Jesus says on this topic. Super important. Are you with me? Yeah, good. Two of you? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, those watching online, listen to the words of Jesus. Watch out for false prophets. I think that's for all of us because not everybody is who they say they are, right? It's one thing to say something. It's a whole other thing to be a different person. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They, they may look like sheep, but they're wolves. By the way, who are the wolves in this story? It's really Joseph's brothers, aren't they? I mean, they in some ways act like, like that. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them, not by what they say, but what you see in their life. That's how you'll know them. And then Jesus uses this metaphor. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? And the answer to that is no, right? You, you don't get grapes from, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. But you, 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 you can't be reconciled and have a healthy relationship with somebody who's living in an area of just total unrepentance. Look, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now watch this. Watch this. Right? This story of Joseph's life, obviously it's a story of how God transforms and changes Joseph. But in in some ways, here's another part of this story that we never talk about. It's also a story. It takes a lot of time. Some people wonder, why in the world did Joseph have to stay a slave for all those years in prison for all those years? Why did this take so long? Here's what's happening. Because these brothers' lives are being changed. If you go back and you reread this story, I mean, 
you see a difference. Now watch this. When they show up to buy food, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And, and over these couple different times when Joseph has interactions with them, he sees some things in their life, and they don't even know it's Joseph. So again, it's not just somebody apologizing to you because they got caught. Again, Jesus is saying, by their fruit will you know them, because fruit's undeniable, not, not by their words. So many times we just listen to what somebody says, but Jesus says, you don't just listen to what somebody says, you, listen, you, you, you look for the fruit in their life, right? And, and so many times in marriage counseling, we say this, somebody says, well, how can I trust them? You can trust what you see God doing in another person's life. You can trust the fruit, right? So jo- what does Joseph get to see? He gets to see his brothers who they, first of all, they acknowledge their sin multiple times. They're saying, you know what? This is happening to us because we sinned against God and what we did with Joseph. Now, he does, they don't even know it's Joseph, but, but he's aware of that, right? So he's seeing God do a work in that. He sees their compassion for Benjamin. Now, this is an important thing because Benjamin, they're 12 brothers, but Joseph and Benjamin uh, are the youngest, and they had the same father, and they had the same mother, Rachel, who was the wife that Jacob loved the most. Now, that's messed up, isn't it? Right? If you're a part of a family and you just clearly know that, uh, that your dad loves this uh, Joseph and Benjamin's mom better than he loves yours, not, not good. That's pretty dysfunctional, isn't it? And at first, that so bothered these brothers. They hated that and they hated Joseph. But Benjamin, the way they treat Benjamin, when Benjamin is falsely accused, when it looks like Benjamin's going to have to stay back in Egypt, I mean, they rip their clothes and they're pleading for Benjamin's life. No one was pleading for Joseph's life. What happened? These guys, their hearts had changed. So Joseph is starting to see some fruit in them. So they acknowledge their sin. They have compassion for their brother Benjamin. And they have compassion for their father. I mean, one of the things that the brother says, listen, if we don't take Benjamin back, it will send my father to the grave. This will kill him. But they aren't concerned about that with Joseph years earlier, are they? I mean, they go back to their father and lie to their father that their son, that, that his, that his favorite son is dead. And again, what is Joseph waiting to see? He's waiting to see if there's fruit in these guys' life, right? So reconciliation takes place. What does Joseph know? He knows when there is repentance, there can be reconciliation. Watch. Listen, you can forgive somebody who's, who's hurt you. You've been called to do that by Jesus, right? But you don't, you, don't, you don't have to be reconciled. When I say reconciled, that means invite that person back. And Joseph is inviting them to come down and live with him. He draws them close. Right? If somebody steals money from me, you know, I mean, if somebody, somebody steals money from me, I'm not, I'm not going to put them on our finance team here at church. Hey, forgive you. Why don't you come be a part of our finance team? That's just really stupid, isn't it, right? I mean, I, I, I can forgive them for that offense, but I'm not, I'm not allowing them back in at that level. And sometimes that's happened. You've been hurt by a person, but you so want that relationship to be reconciled that you come right back in and draw close to them before God has really done a work in their life or before they've let God do a work in their life and you just keep getting hurt all over it again. Does that make sense to you? We've really seen that. Joseph had to be patient as God had to do a deep work in his brother's life, and he was. So reconciliation is always the goal, but reconciliation is a different thing from forgiveness. But reconciliation is the goal. Look at verse 14 and 15. I just want to read it because I love this passage, and I'm almost done. You guys doing okay? I love this verse. Because every, my guess is, Every family represented in this room has some hurt and some dysfunction and some pain. And you long for forgiveness and reconciliation. Listen to how it plays out in Joseph's life. So after 
this story is beginning to unfold. Look on down at verse 14. Then he threw, then he, meaning Joseph, threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers. Same guys who left him for dead, sold him as a slave. He kisses them. He weeps over them. And I love this last phrase. Maybe it's just me. And afterwards, his brothers, what? Talked to him. Can you imagine what, what that was like? I mean, as they said and just talked about what had happened over the years and what they had learned and what Joseph had missed, that must have been an unbelievable conversation. But Joseph understands there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. They're not the same thing. Last thing and we're done. Last thing, this is a huge thing. This is so helpful. Here's the problem with unforgiveness. My, the reason that I have hung on to unforgiveness in my life at times so long is it, it just angers me so much because I have always felt like in my life that when somebody wronged me, they have taken something away from me that could never be given back. That they have cost, it has cost me something in, in, from my past that can never be restored in my future. Here's what Joseph knows that we don't know. Joe knows that others' past evil to you doesn't stop God's future goodness for you. Let me say that to you one more time. Think about this. Think about this. Joseph knows that others past evil, and his brothers, that was evil, right, from the past. It doesn't stop God's future goodness for you. Here's the irony. I want to show you this. Watch. I want to show you this. This is amazing to me. The irony is, why did the brothers sell him, first of all, as a slave and get rid of him? Because they wanted to stop the dream that he had from happening. Joseph said, one day you guys are going to do what? You're going to... You're going to bow down to me. And they said, no, no, I'm not going to bow down to you. I can promise you that. You're dead. We're going to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so they sell him as a slave, so he's out of the picture. But here's the amazing thing. In fact, what they did actually, in a strange, powerful twist, makes it happen. Does that make sense? They sent him to Egypt. It's exactly where God wanted. And, you know, they don't just bow down to him one time. They bow down to him four times in Scripture. They played right into God's hand with what they thought they were doing to keep it from happening. They made it happen. Only God can do that. Can I tell doesn't that make you at some level fall deeper in love with him? Because nobody can do to you from your past in your life what God can't heal in your future. That's how powerful he is. That's what he can do with brokenness. And this story explains it probably as good as any in Scripture. That's why Joseph said in verse 5, hey, guys, don't be distressed. Don't be angry. I am so angry when somebody wrongs me because I think they have done something that God can't undo. Joseph said, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. But God sent me before you to preserve life. Look at chapter 50, verse 20. He says the same thing, fleshes it out even more. It's a great verse. As for you, you meant evil. Guys, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Which one wins the day? God's plan wins the day. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I was just sitting in my office one day this week, and I just started writing down kind of these situations that I have heard over the years in counseling from people. And there's no names here, but these are just things that I've heard from people that kind of fit with what Joseph is saying or what we learn in Joseph's story. The first one goes a little something like this. You fired me from a job, but God used it to show me my true calling. Probably never be where I am today without that. 
You broke my heart when you walked away from me and hurt me and left that relationship, but God used it to give me a new heart and draw me in a relationship with him. I'd never be where I am. I, I, can, I can see the person's face right now in front of me. I can remember the conversation and hear his exact words. I would never be where I am today with a new heart and a new perspective on life and this relationship with God had it not been for that. Because, listen, no one can do in your past what God can restore for your future. You damaged my reputation You ran me through the mud on social media, but it forced me to find my true identity, and now I know who I am. I used to be a slave to what others said. Now I know what God knows about me. Do you see? Do you know any bitter and vindictive people? Don't point here. This would be awkward. Somebody pointed in the last service. It was so weird. Do you know what most bitter and vindictive people have in common? A small view of God. That's what a bitter and vindictive person has, a small view of God, because they think somebody has the power to take away what God can't restore. That's a small view of God. Do you know what most gracious and forgiving people have? A big view of God. That's what Joseph has. You meant it for evil. God has used it for good to save lives. Forgiveness in many ways is always a byproduct. If you're online, listen. Forgiveness is always a byproduct of knowing and trusting in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God is just a big churchy word that preachers like to use to to make us look smarter than we are. When it says that God's sovereign, that means he's in control of all things. Do you believe he's in control of all things? Doesn't Joseph's story show that fact that no one can thwart the plans of God? God tells Joseph what's going to happen in his life. His brothers tried to thwart it, and they're only used as a tool of God to bring it about. That's amazing, isn't it? God's sovereign. Can I tell you something about the sovereignty of God? If God's sovereign, do you know what that means for you? You don't have to be. Does that help you right now in the midst of the chaos and confusion of the world that we're in? God's in control. I don't have to be. I'm kind of resting in that right now. That helps me just a little bit. Let's close with these thoughts. You're watching online. You're here today. Anybody in a rut spiritually? You ever been in a rut spiritually? I have. You ever been in a dry season spiritually? It's okay. But if you're in a rut spiritually, in a dry season spiritually, can I just make one suggestion? One of the first places you might want to look is to see if there's any unforgiveness in your life. Because you'll never walk in the fullness that God has for you with unforgiveness there. Can I tell you something about forgiveness? Forgiveness was never meant, listen, listen. Forgiveness was never meant merely to flow to you. It was always meant to flow through you. Do you understand that? We love to sing about God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness that has flown to us. But isn't this what Jesus even teaches in his model prayer? When he says, Father, forgive us or forgive me my trespasses as what? As I forgive those who sin against me. Forgiveness was never meant just to flow to you. It was always meant to flow through you. And if that stops, you'll be stuck spiritually until you confess that, until you lay it down. Well, how much forgiveness do you think they deserve? Can I give you another question? How much freedom do you desire? I think it's a better question. Why should I forgive them? Because God wants you to be free. 
please, please, please. Don't walk out of here today with that shard of glass in your pocket because it will keep cutting you for the rest of your life and you will never run free. You know what I love about that Bo Jackson clip? I know you don't want to hear this, but I want to tell you. You know, one of the things that all great hitters have, I think it's all great athletes have this, it's not about his swing, it wasn't about his power, but great hitters, it's, it's really about the mind. Great hitters, really, their mind's freed up. They're not thinking. Some people say, what is he thinking about? Great hitters aren't thinking about anything. See the ball, hit the ball. You step into the batter's box and your mind's cluttered thinking about all your technique of swing, thinking about every pitch this guy's going to throw, and it just locks you up and you're slow and, and you'll never hit the ball. But that's the way our life is. We step into the batter's box of life and we, are, we have so much clutter and we've got shards of glass in our pockets that have been broken and we're cut and we're limping and we're hurting and it is clearly time to lay it down and let him pick it up and for you to walk freer than you've ever walked before. Hey, the last thing that I want to say about forgiveness, 30 seconds, unforgiveness gives you away ultimately. Because you can fake kind of good Christian behavior at least some of the time. You, 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 you can fake worship. You can even fake kind of service. You can fake a lot of key components in the Christian life. But you can't fake forgiveness. You can't fake forgiveness. People in all in arms about the whole mask thing. I've heard, had more emails, more people mad at me about should wear a mask, shouldn't wear a mask. I've heard so much about masks, I don't want I, I to hear nothing about masks. Let me be honest. I think we should wear a mask. You're around people inside of six feet, wear a mask. Well, I don't think I should have to wear a mask to church, people say. I'm sick of wearing masks. I don't have to wear a mask to church. You know, we've been wearing masks to church for years. We've been wearing masks to church for a long time. We've played the game. We've showed people only what we want them to see, but unforgiveness unmasks us. You say, well, what do you mean? I'll tell you this. Here's the most important thing you need to know about forgiveness, the most important thing. Only forgiven people can forgive. Because forgiveness is unfair. Only when you look at unfair the other way, and you think, what in the heck are you talking about? Can I just tell you what's unfair? It is me being forgiven of all that I've done because I know who I am and I know what I've done and I know how I've drugged God's name through the mud. I know I have rebelled against him willfully so many times in my life and yet he has chosen to forgive me and he has paid for my forgiveness in full. The Bible says the blood of Christ Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness and I just want to tell you something today. That is unfair. And I just choose to think at the other side of unfair. But you'll never be able to forgive someone until you have received forgiveness. And I'm not saying, please listen, this can be so confusing theologically and it can mess a lot of people up. Listen to what I'm about to say. Please, please trust me. I'm not saying a Christian can't have unforgiveness. I'm just saying a Christian is not going to stay in unforgiveness. Because they want to release that person because they've been released. 
They want peace in these relationships because the Prince of Peace is residing within them. But listen, if there is no desire for forgiveness, you have just seen something today in your heart, in your life, that you need to see. It has unmasked you. It has showed you the greatest need ever in your life. You need, first of all, to be forgiven. And it's what the Lord is desperate to do in your life today. Your lack of desire to forgive others when they wrong you points to a far greater truth that you need for the first time in your life to be completely forgiven and embrace His grace. Would you pray with me? Father, that's, that kind of sounds like my story. Maybe that's what you're saying right now. I have been so resistant to forgiveness of other people in my life over and over again. They don't deserve it. I don't desire to do that. I'm never going to do that. But today, your unforgiveness has unmasked you. And it has revealed a very important thing about you, that you're a person desperately in need of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking today, would you open yourself up to that? If you're watching online, would you open yourself up to that? Would you say this to the Lord? Would you say this? Jesus, I believe you died to completely forgive me. Jesus, I believe you paid my price so I could be set free. And Jesus, today, I trust your complete and total forgiveness of me through your sacrifice and through your resurrection. Jesus, cleanse me of everything that I've ever done and will ever do against you. That is so unfair. But thank you for your unfairness to me. Would you tell him that? Thank you for your unfairness. And then teach me, teach me to not just let your forgiveness flow to me, but throw, flow through me. Teach me that, Jesus. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Father, thanks for reminding us of what forgiveness is not. Thank you for showing us that forgiveness and reconciliation are different. And God, thank you for reminding us that no one can or has done in our past to us anything that can forfeit what you want to do for us and through us in our future. God, help us to see that today. And Father, today, as we leave, can we leave that shard of glass at your feet here? Could we lay down that unforgiveness that we've had toward that person in our life for years that just keeps cutting and keeps cutting and keeps cutting. Could we lay it down and trust you to pick it up? In Jesus' name, amen.